0: Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast. Melina and I are so excited that you're here. If you're already a subscriber to the show, you are awesome. Honestly, your support means more than you know. And if you just stumbled upon our little corner of the interweb over here, hello. Make sure you hit that subscriber follow button. We release new book deep dives every Tuesday. Okay, time to get lost in a world of magic, romance, and adventure. Let's go. Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast, the show where two cousins dive deep into your favorite fantasy novels. We're talking chapter summaries, characters, lore, theories, and more. But before we dive into today's episode, please listen closely to our content warnings. Most importantly, this episode will contain spoilers for House of Flame and Shadow and all of SJM's other works, including Acatar and Throne of Glass.
1: We may be focusing on chapters two through six of House of Flame and Shadow today, but we're bringing the whole mass verse into the conversation, especially when we talk about our theories and predictions. Yeah, this
0: includes anything that SJM has said as well, so it's all on the table.
1: So if you don't know why we're still laughing every time we see a vacuum, go finish <laughs> the first two books of Crescent City series and come back to us. We'll be here when you're done.
0: Secondly, this podcast is rated R. We Romanticy Fangirls are adults who say adult things and talk about adult books with adult themes. So if you're not into that, totally cool. But this podcast is not for you.
1: Correct. If any of our family is listening, which we're sort of hoping not, but y'all are very, very uh, supportive of us. We're sorry, but we're not sorry. You've been warned.
0: Yes. And Melina, pronunciation thing...
1: Exactly. We will not be held responsible for any correct or incorrect pronunciations of any of your favorite characters, town names, etc. We are not professionals. We are just fangirls.
0: Yes. And lastly, before we jump into House of Flame and Shadow episode two, if you love romantic Fangirls and want to support us in making our dream our livelihood if you want more content more bookish community discounts on merch early access and ad free episodes and more please check out our patreon we have two membership tiers the drop and starborn and the link is in the show notes also in our youtube captions and really and truly thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you
1: thank you and now it's time to dive in
0: yeah. So Melina going to take over our chapter summaries this episode. So we are once again doing two through six.
1: Right. Let's get into it. All right. So here's our anchor, our chapter summaries, starting with chapter two. So Therian is now an MMA fighter for the Viper <laughs> Queen. We find him beaten and bruised after his latest fight in the meat market. So he shares a bathroom in his apartment suite with Ariadne. Is that how you pronounce it?
0: That's how I say it, yeah. Okay,
1: great. Okay, that's what we're going with. Here we go. (laughs) Ariadne, a dragon shifter and one of the best fighters that the Vibe Queen currently has on her impressive roster of slaves.
0: Yeah, and if you guys remember from before, the... Ariadne has been trapped for a long ass time. Before she was with the Viper Queen, she was trapped inside a ring worn by the astronomer.
1: Correct. So Therian's been spiraling ever since Cormac's death, which happened right in front of his eyes uh, at the lab at the end of House of Sky and Breath, and his whole debacle with the River Queen's daughter and calling off the engagement. So. On top of that, he's now also addicted to the Viper Queen's venom, as are all of her slaves. Outside, wandering the stalls of the meat market, is our favorite boy group, boy band here. (laughs) Uh, Ethan, Flynn, Declan, Mark, Declan's boyfriend, and Sigrid, the Fendir Alpha that Ethan rescued from the Astronomer's mystic tank, where she was serving as a mystic for him.
0: Yeah, and SJM reminds us here that her father, Sigrid's father, was the prime apparent and also Sabine's brother, but currently the circumstances around her sale to the astronomer and how she got there are unknown at this point.
1: Great. So the boy band here is trying to figure out how to not only rescue Hunt, Rune, and Baxian from the Eternal City dungeons but free Tharian and find Bryce so not much on their <laughs> plates at all yeah <laughs> so Ethan determines that they need Therian's help as a way to get on the depth charger which is one of the ocean queens remember she's the sister to the river queen that Tharian defected from one of the Ocean Queen's mare ships that can cross the ocean unnoticed to get them to the Eternal City to Prison Break, Hunt, rune, and Baxian. But before they get a chance to, to try their their shot at getting a meeting with Therian through the Viper Queen, Ethan catches a scent of wolves converging on them in the unprotected market. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Yeah, so chapter two was kind of weird for me i think because like i just never imagined therian being like this low i mean he i think in house of earth and blood and house of sky and shadow like er, (laughs) or sky and breath he was just so kind of solid like he just knew his place in the world and to see him just completely strung out and thinking that he's never going to have a future that was kind of tough to read
1: yeah, that's a really good point. I think this was, yeah, as we as we've caught up with him here. I mean, this is a real low point for him coming so far from the confident, kind of swaggery male that we knew before to strung out, he's really kind of apathetic about everything um, and just really, really down on himself. Yeah, this is a huge shift from from that earlier male character that we knew.
0: Yeah. And I love this is the first time we're seeing the whole boy band, as you call it, which I love that (laughs) in House of Flame and Shadow. And these guys just crack me up the whole time. Just their thought processes. Like, who goes into this thinking, like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, get Therian's help, you know, basically jailbreak him from the Viper Queen. Also, let's find Bryce. Also,
1: let's. Prison, break the, Prison break the other group. Prison break yeah. the
0: other
1: group. Right. Yeah. I love that <laughs> They don't that's have like... a
0: confidence issue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Like, okay, good. I love that those are three minor things on our to-do list for the day. And they're just sitting in the meat market, planning. Literally, they're, they're a boy band. There is no other way to describe them. So, yes. I love that. Oh. oh, my gosh. So, switching from them, then, chapter three, we're back in Prithian with Bryce Still in her cell in the Hewn City, being questioned by Rise as an Amrin, and they want to know why she's there in Prithian and why she has the language tattooed on her back. Um, remember we talked about it in episode one. It's the same lettering as the Book of Breathings has. So, Amrin, and this is what you mentioned in episode one, Amrin tells Rise to go get Nesta, and he just immediately <laughs> is like, okay i'll he's do whatever just, you like, say such,
0: yeah he's just such her bitch and i love oh, it like it's amazing
1: it. <laughs> it's amazing i love like you we all know those couple of women who just like it is a complete vibe and everyone sure i'll drop whatever i'm doing and ju- it's just there's no nonsense yeah. love it I, mean,
0: I like to think that we're those women but i
1: we're probably not <laughs> I'm too goofy. <laughs> I th- I think I am, and then I'm gonna get goofy about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Rise returns with Nesta, and she's in her Illyrian fighting leathers. Love that note, thank you. And she says to the group, "Quote: There's something made, capital M made on her beyond obviously the Star Sword that she fell into Perithian with." And Nesta confirms it's the tattoo. It's Bryce's tattoo. So Bryce doesn't know what capital M made means and will reveal nothing to them out of caution. She only wants to know where they've taken the star sword, but obviously they don't tell her. So as Bryce spends time alone in her cell, she knows that even if she gets some answers on this world, she won't be able to get back to Midgard without someone to power her up quote-unquote, and activating the horn in the process. She also doesn't know if she needs a gate to get home, because where she landed in this world, she didn't land near a gate. They, there was only gates in Midgard. Um, so she's contemplating that. Her only consolation of being here is that the dagger, truth teller, is here, which seems to fulfill the prophecy Quote, when knife and sword are reunited, so shall our people be. So.
0: I was, I'm still trying to like, I don't know. I'm still trying to put all this together because I feel like SJM puts Bryce, like you said, in a place where she's not even, she doesn't even know if there's gates there. So she doesn't know that she can get back. And then she also, though, is like given this purpose or figures this purpose out that, oh, I, you know. I am here in the place where the knife is, so like the wheels just kind of start turning for her at least that's in my head what what happened
1: <laughs> yeah i I think there's so I think there's so much, and Sarah always does this to us, right? There's so much going on here, even if we don't know exactly what it is, we can tell it's it's leading us to something else, yes, so meanwhile. Back in Midgard, the boy band are trying to get out of the market um, with Sigrid and the three sprites um, and somewhere safe because we know we now know the wolves are converging on them. Just as they push open the door to a side alley, there stands Sabine and her sights are set squarely on her niece Sigrid.
0: How does Sabine always know and are I mean, I feel like, I don't know, me reading this, I figured like the Viper Queen already knows that this whole crew is there because she never not knows what's going on in the market. So I'm thinking, you know, she kind of called it into Sabine. Not that Sabine doesn't always necessarily know where her pack is, but like I'm thinking the two of them kind of are in cahoots and she's shining a bright spotlight on them going, your crew's over here
1: oh i like that a vipe queen tip-off to sabine yeah right we know it's been stated multiple times throughout this series the viper queen always knows what's happening inside the boundaries of yeah. of her court so interesting all right like that all right so that's where chapter three ends then chapter four, we're back in the prison of the Crystal Palace with Hunt, Rune, and Baxi. And even through Hunt's extreme pain and state of semi-consciousness, he's only thinking of his mate, his wife, his princess, Bryce. Swoon. Okay. I know. Thank you. <laughs> I don't
0: think, I think my husband would be like, I'm thinking of food. I'm thinking of just,
1: <laughs> I want to get
0: down from these shackles. <laughs>
1: As somebody who knows and loves your husband dearly, I don't disagree with that.
0: Like, um, she'll be fine. We'll find
1: her later. Right. <laughs> Get me a snack first. Yeah. To be fair, I feel like a snack would be first on my priority list, yeah, too. Yeah, touche, so.
0: touche yes.
1: <laughs> Sorry, future partner of mine. <laughs> y- y'all are out of luck, so. Right. So Hunt still thinks she's in hell, And his only goal is to stay alive long enough to buy her the time she needs to figure out how to get Hell's help to defeat the Asteri. But he's also drowning in his guilt about the whole situation, telling himself he should have seen it coming. We're seeing that, we're seeing that guilt, that guilt come up to the surface for sure. Um, then as the other two kind of slowly awaken after their latest beating, um, Rune makes a joke two angels and a fae prince walk into a dungeon and soon they're just the three of them are just hysterically laughing because tr- what else is there to do in the situation truly i i think at that point you're just there's nothing to do but laugh really
0: yeah and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode but i that was one of my favorite lines from this whole chapter
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Pollux soon arrives and is accompanied by the Hawk this time. He tells them to shut the fuck up and that Rune's father has disowned him. The males continue to just blatantly defy the Hammer and the Hawk's threats of more punishment, uh, but the shit show begins anew. Hunt thinks that he's hallucinating at this point uh, because of the torture, because he sees something behind the fireplace something darker than shadow older and watching them and he assumes it's death so that is not a positive thought
0: yeah did you I mean we'll get to what it was but I did not I did not guess right did you
1: no okay I I thought it was gonna be yeah we can get to that then, but when there's his okay. death, I always just immediately assume like it's something related to Nesta. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Interesting. Okay. All right, we'll get to that. <laughs> we switch to Rune's point of view then, where he's on a mental raft, sort of in this sea of pain, hearing his call sign, Night, being called from somewhere far away. So
0: he hears Day say... Gods, what did he do to you? To which he then answers, Nothing you haven't done a thousand times yourself. And he describes her as the most beautiful female he'd ever seen, but she was a flawless mask over a rotted heart. And I just thought that that line was, yeah, that was really powerful.
1: Yeah. Um, and he's still grappling with the fact that his father and Morvan disowned their sons and though that shouldn't shock him he always sort of held on to this scrap of hope that his father saw the asteri for what they truly were and now he knows that hope is dead and he knows that his father is a spineless coward which is my theme of the the fae kings in chapter in episode 1 so yes I'm with him on that. Day tries to talk to him, wants him to understand why she did the things she did, uh, but he tells her to save her sob story for someone who gives a shit and rolls off the mental raft back into the sea of pain.
0: I'm dying at this point. Like, I just need them to make up and be happy.
1: Right. Like, what a way to start off this book. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, thank you for making me wait two years for this and I am horrendously depressed now we're on chapter four I've had nothing exciting or happy (laughs) happen thank you going well going well so chapter five then we're back with Ethan and then Sabine Ethan the boy band and Sabine in the meat market Sabine tells Sigrid she knew her brother Sabine's brother had let her find him and her Sigrid's sister too easily and that he had lied about how many pups he had. So she promises Sigrid she'll make this quick quote like she did for her sister.
0: Remember Sigrid went into the astronomers tank for her sister, but then Sabine ended up killing her sister and Sigrid is hearing this for the first time.
1: Oh, this is now, I mean, this is culminating into a serious, serious issue. Ethan's threatening to go to the authorities. Sabine's saying, "Celestina and isn't going to care," and neither is the Autumn King. He wants a clean slate for the Valbar and Faye. So Sigrid and Sabine exchange a few more threats, and then Sigrid is just just loses it and leaps for Sabine. Declan fires his gun at the same time as Flynn unleashes a second shot. And then we find out Deck aimed for Sabine's knee to just kind of incapacitate. Flynn's shot blasted Sabine's face clean off. I was shocked reading that. Like, I was
0: not expecting that
1: I, That, I literally paused. That, that threw me. I was not, because again, and we talked about this last episode. This is a level of violence that I don't think we've, we've really... I don't know, it feels different for some reason.
0: Yeah, it definitely feels more adult than even new adult this book does for me. I had to read that line a couple times because I thought they can't really have said that. Like her face is blown off. I just, I don't know. It was a very big pivot for me from previous books.
1: Well, and I think too, the interesting, and we'll we'll have to get into this then, is the healing, the level of healing that these these Fae can do and shifters can do on Midgar. I, th- I think very different than what we've seen. Cassian's wings were shredded, right? Mm-hmm. In Akatar, and we had to have the healer heal him. He didn't regrow his wings. Huns right. gets his chopped off and his are regrowing. So I think that in a very weird way allows for the violence to be more intense here i don't yeah, know Yeah, i
0: didn't think about that i mean that's a good point and we'll talk about it in the drop and the ascent where we talk about characters and stuff but that it's a good point because i really think like in the other books and the other series when people if this would happen like, if somebody would get their face blown off like they they're just r.i.p right like right. they're not coming back from that right
1: so we'll have, to, we'll have to dive into that later. But the others begin running for the end of the alley to make for the boats. But Ethan's wolf instincts, he's seeing his current alpha on the ground and he just yells to the rest of the group. He can't make himself move. He yells to the rest of the group to stop. Um, and then he hears something behind them and the Viper Queen now appears. So now we've gone from regular deep shit into even deeper shit perfect the boy band is doing well
0: yeah <laughs> their plan <laughs> is working perfectly
1: <laughs> oh my gosh did we
0: expect anything less <laughs> uh
1: no no we did not thank you for asking <laughs> now we switch back to lydia's point of view at the crystal palace where she's asking Regulus to allow her permission to get erythus is that i say eryth even er- now i can't even say it <laughs> uh,
0: i don't know it's one of those words that when i'm reading a fantasy book i just yep. skip over because i'm like yep. i just mumble something and then you get like, like the Bleh. first part <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you get like the first part of the name, and then you're done. That's yeah,
0: let's, what. Let's uh, call her the Sprite Queen. Uh, perfect.
1: <laughs> perfect. So she's asking to get permission to get Iritis to motivate Athalar. That's the that's her reasoning behind it. So as Lydia tries to convince him, they're making their way down. They're in the Crystal Palace, even lower than the level of the dungeons where the three males are being kept to an iron door and that trigger i was like oh iron i know that that's important yeah that regalis uses the power of his hand to open so they enter into a heavy humid room where 1000 sunken tubs are submerged into the stone floor shining with a pale light that illuminates the floating bodies within them so obviously these are mystics Um, And then before these mystics, before the machines, we meet a withered humanoid form named just simply the mistress of the mystics. Lydia doesn't think that she has any other name.
0: Yeah, and I looked back through the chapter when we were making this outline, but I don't think we, I think that's just what she's called.
1: Yeah, I think that's all we got. Love that for her. So Regulus tells her that they, tells the mistress that they have need of Erethus, the current Sprite Queen. Lydia tells Erethus that she needs her help with interrogating three prisoners, and she silently agrees. Regulus says to Lydia, you have one week with her. So now we're jumping back to Prithian. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) Bryce is still in her cell, contemplating how she got herself into this situation. A lot of people are doing that currently, I believe. Yeah. Um, And how she's going to get herself out. The whole time that she's been in there, we know there's the grate in the middle of the floor. Um, and the whole time she's been in there, she's been hearing this chorus of hissing from the beasts underneath. So she figures out trying the door, and there's that wall of impenetrable night. So she figures out the grate is her only way to go, to get out. And so she removes it and looks into the pit below. And then, with her starlight, she sees a pit full of Sobeks, or their dark twins, as she as she calls them, and she that she has pretty much no other choice. So she decides to chance it for everyone that she loves and teleports into the pit.
0: And see, I'm going like I would just sit in my cell and not go into that pit like i would just say sorry folks you're you're on your own i'm not going down in there
1: (laughs) i it would totally depend on i think for me i feel like at one at some point i would get antsy like i'd get i'd get mad and get antsy about it but i also don't and it's it says she only has a narrow ledge to teleport to Mm -hmm. like you mess this up and you're going to be eaten by the sobex like love love that that's gonna go well so yeah probably a bad way to go yeah not not my first choice but (laughs) i'll be sitting in the cell you can go down and (laughs) come back for me i'll come back for that is that that tracks for our personalities i'll take that that's fair (laughs) then we leave bryce we come back to the boy band who's been apprehended by the viper queen Um, And brought back to the suite with Therian and Ariadne. Therian is completely strung out on the Viper Queen's Venom. um, And the guys, Ethan and Flynn and Deck, plead with Therian to help them try and rescue Hunt and Rune and Baxian from Eternal City. But he says, Therian says there's no escape. He's just pretty much apathetic about it. Um, Then we do, we swap back to Bryce who is teetering on the rock ledge um, down. she made it. <laughs> she made it beneath her cell, where a mess of sobek-like creatures are hissing and writhing underneath her. And we f- she figures out that her star calms the creatures and they settle. And this is a quote that got my attention, quote, as if her emotions were there. And yeah. then the star also acts as a compass, so brightening, in which direction to tell her which direction in the tunnel to go. I
0: thought that was really clever. I thought that was really cool.
1: I liked that. I thought that was really neat. So we end chapter five. Oh, a lot happened in this one back in Therian's suite where Ethan is just disappointed at how much the mayor has let himself go. And Therian pretty much just tells him that they can't help and he can't help and falls onto his bed in a drugged out state. So that's and how I we end chapter is like, five.
0: Yeah. And I, I felt like this was the first time in a SJM book that we really saw like blatant consequences of drug use. Obviously she talks about drug use in house of earth and blood, you know, with Danica's storyline yeah. and everything, but like we really didn't see Danica using on page or like, you know, the effects of it on page. And so again, back to that whole, like this is has a very adult themes in it. And I think it just maybe jm has, I mean, I think we all have family members or at least know somebody that is going through this type of situation. And I really, as much as it pained me to read it, I appreciated her bringing that characterization into it.
1: Right, right. Not sugarcoating it, not putting like a positive spin on it. Like there are rock bottom times that, that people hit. And that's a valuable thing to be able to bring in front of people. So, cause that's their, that's their truth. That's what they're living right then. So I agree. That was really important. And our last chapter for this episode that we're covering chapter six So Bryce has gotten down off the ledge and she walked through the pit of Sobek-like creatures and made it into the tunnel where her starlight directed her for uh, behind a gate that is too small for the Sobeks to squeeze through, thank goodness. But she kind of gets settled and is just so exhausted she falls asleep. And she wakes up and is startled to find Nesta standing over top of her. Uh, and Nesta tells her that she's been sent to escort Bryce. So I love that because we all know LeVrise Bryce always has like 18 cards up his sleeve. So <laughs> right. there's there's no sneaking around him, really. So after they walk for a little bit and then after trying to escape Nesta using a burst of Bryce's starlight. She finds herself at the sharp end of ataraxia and realizes that her starlight has caused a cave in. So there's no way back the way they came. They have to move forward. Bryce tells Nesta she feels like her star is guiding her somewhere for a reason and she needs to follow it. So Nesta agrees. And since they can't go back, they might as well see where this tunnel leads. And that oh is how we God. end chapter six. <laughs>
0: these tunnels i'm telling you we'll get into that in a minute but oh my god i just (laughs) this the
1: the, the start of your the start of your tunnel saga yeah my claustrophobia (laughs) yep that's very fair
0: that's a lot a lot happens though i mean some of the chapters were shorter than others obviously there's a lot that happens
1: yeah absolutely
0: if you love romanticy fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you. Yeah, let's get into our Drop part of the episode which is kind of our theories and predictions so i made a note on our outline which if you're in our patreon you do get a copy of so you can see all of our notes and be able to add your own but in chapter two like we really first see ethan and sigrid's relationship that we kind of got a glimpse of in house of sky and breath you know when we met her in the tank but kind of just their interactions and him trying to protect her from this world that she's not used to yet. And I think it's Declan that even, it's Declan or Flynn that makes the comment, like, you need a reminder to shower, Declan. you know, because she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't even kind of understand how her, this form that she's in really works outside of the tank. So I just think their relationship going forward is definitely going to be more complex than we think it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, right, I think we see there's this really interesting like duality of her being an alpha and Ethan recognizing that at the core of, you know, is his wolfness. I guess you would say. Um But then, right, Dex's statement about like, you need to remind her to like shower and it talks a little bit about like, Ethan had to like help her wash her hair. We see this duality of the alpha, and then just this helpless creature who has just never been taken care of, and you know she she really doesn't have any sort of independence. That is the exact core of what an alpha brings. So I think that's such an interesting interesting piece to bring to uh, the whole narrative around the wolves. And Ethan again is right in the middle of he's been exiled but he's helping an alpha that has ties to sabine but he had close ties to danica and it's just an a really interesting complex we're seeing kind of the all the strings of the wolves narratives kind of coming together i think we're really going to build on that coming up in this book
0: and when sigrid is talking or meets sabine for the first time in that alleyway and hears that Sabine killed her sister like i mean she just sees red and then she just goes full alpha and it was really cool to kind of see her you know transition and transform on page not literally but like just complete dive into that alpha connection that she has and i think Ethan saw that and was oh wow that is really truly a fendier air
1: yeah absolutely that we really see that that spark that alpha spark Come alive. But I can't imagine. And that's again, what Sarah does, I think, so well in her books. The entire reason that Sigrid kept herself, you know, at the mercy of the astronomer was to protect her sister. And Sabine reveals in their first meeting that she killed her. And then it's this whole, the whole reason for Sigrid being one of the astronomer's mystics is now Completely a moot point. I mm-hmm. mean, that is that's such a devastating effect for this character, and it just is. That's also another piece for me of Sarah just drops the like. That is a huge, huge piece of news that is just sort of like dropped really lightly into a dialogue in the middle yeah. of of the end of a chapter.
0: Yeah, she does that to us all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all the th- and I'm always like, what
0: how did you do that wait a minute and that's why i read slow as we announced in the first episode because i'm like i need to reread that again because i think i missed something
1: there (laughs) understandably understandably
0: and then i wanted to kind of ask you about your thoughts on you know like chapter six especially is where we kind of start to see nesta and bryce's connection and relationship um and I love both of them, especially Nesta. She's just, you know, my girl. I thought it was really interesting how, and we we do spend a lot of time with them together, as we'll see in later episodes. And so just kind of that bond that they have that they don't know they have yet, like just kind of starting to develop, uh, I thought was really cool in that chapter.
1: Yeah, and I think right. We only just chapter six is just the beginning, right? It it builds much more in later ca- in later chapters. But I think for me, so far that we've seen here, that I think is really cool for Bryce and Nesta especially. These are both of our absolute like type A assertive. Like there is Bryce has probably a little bit more of the dry humor and irreverence. I think is like such a callback to Aelin, um, mm-hmm. that humor. Nesta's a little bit more reserved, but it's still that both of them have that unbreakable, like, steel in their spine. We're not gonna back down. And if we are, I'm plotting eight other ways to take you out anyway type deal. <laughs> yeah. So I love that we get, I love that we get our two really very strong female characters together and interacting. And they're not buddy buddy. That's also right. a new, you know, in through in a Glass, we have Aelin and Lysandra, who I just adore for all of time, but this is, they're not on the same team. Both of them have their own agendas here, and I think there's a mutual respect there, kind of, which I love, right? Like queens recognizing queens. Mm-hmm. Um, how how that's going to look moving forward That neither of them are backing down on what they perceive to be what they're protecting. I mean, that's going to develop into a, I think we're going to come to a bit of a standstill, I would assume, right? Like two opposing forces. So that'll be interesting to see.
0: Yeah. And when we first meet Nesta, basically Amarin, like we talked about is treating Reese like her bitch again and just saying, go get her. And then the line, I think they say, well, Kaz says, like, Cassian's not going to be happy. And Amorin's like, Cassian can deal. And so (laughs) there's another, we just don't care about what the boys think here. And it's interesting to me, too, though, that Nesta, like, given her strong personality, there has to be, in my mind, an ulterior motive for her to agree to go after Bryce at Reese's request. Because, like, I don't think she would just do that just because he said to do it, you know, cause they've always had oh, kind of sure. like, you know, this brother, sister, contentious relationship type thing. So I'm in my mind right now, I'm thinking, okay, what's, what's her ulterior motive to this? Because it's not just because Reese wanted her to do it.
1: Oh, that is fascinating. I love that. Cause right. Yeah. She doesn't, she never listens to him if she can yeah. help it. <laughs> So that's that's a really interesting, oh, yeah, hopefully yeah. we'll get into that more in later chapters. So those were our theories and predictions for
0: chapters two through six. Definitely let us know which ones you had, if you had the same ones as us, or I'm sure there's tons of them out there. So definitely comment on that and let us know. But let's move into the ascent where we talk about characters canon and kind of other little tidbits that we took from these sections so let's start with chapter two and I had made a note in our outline the sprites being allowed to call Sigrid Siggy like just but nobody else was I just love that I don't know I the name Siggy to me just is so like I don't know I just loved
1: it it's so different than like what I like Siggy to me is like island like bermuda shorts like has a guitar and a drink and a coconut or something right and then sigrid like like, marley (laughs) right and then sigrid like has no idea what's going on obviously hasn't like washed her hair recently bless her like how relatable she's not letting but i love the little peek into like the sprites get to call her siggy Um, and nobody else does but she also makes a comment to Ethan about she doesn't even know why she has to have a name yes which just like break my heart why don't you yeah that was that was tough Uh, but I love the three little sprites I love oh my word I'm so mad we how do we not have a single ounce of magic in this world
0: I know, I know. And for me, I'm picturing them as like a cross between like the three fairy godmothers from sleeping beauty sleeping beauty yeah but like a younger like cuter version (laughs) of them
1: (laughs) oh my gosh that's hilarious oh i wish i would have thought about my brain is doing the they sort of look like have you seen elemental the disney movie that came out last year so the fire girl from elemental but like the like her face But then the body of the little, what do they call them in Brave? The Will of the Wisps. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: the little, (laughs) there's like a cross between those two. The Sleeping Beauty uh, fairy godmothers are much better. (laughs) I'm absolutely stealing that. Oh,
0: that's just what I'm picturing in my head as I'm reading. And I'm like, oh, maybe they'll bake Siggy a cake.
1: Fold in the eggs. Yeah. (laughs) Crunch. Two tisps. Fold in the cheese. <laughs> right. Any time. Any time we can get a Schitt's Creek reference with oh a Disney reference, yes. we're set. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Incredible.
0: And then you had some comments about Chapter 3, which I absolutely loved. I was dying when I re- read these on the outline.
1: Yes. Oh, my word. I, in Chapter 3, when Bryce is in the cell... The com. First of all, she talks about like the. F- I love that Sarah pretty much always gives us like food content. Thank yes, you. Yeah. I had a meme on my own Instagram earlier about. I know everybody complains in medieval times about their <laughs> meal of hard <laughs> bread, cheese, and wine, but that's like my ideal meal. That's <laughs> right. what this it, like bread, cheese, like soup or whatever. I'm like, oh, nice. Like I'd take that too. I love that yeah. meal yeah but the comment about the spices she says something about like maybe the asteri brought rosemary and thyme to midgard and i'm like who is thinking who is thinking about that certainly not me i love food but i'm like i don't care i don't care that no, everybody can I'm just have
0: shoveling it in my <laughs> mouth i'm not thinking about the spice aromas or combinations no. that are on my plate Yeah, no, thank you
1: that is there's very very few times in sarah's books where i feel like i'm pulled out of the world like back into Melina, that was one of them i have one of my very good friends bakes and is very good at baking and she would she would absolutely love that reference M- Melina's brain was like well, who cares who cares or just eat the damn thing <laughs> exactly and then following that she's bored bryce is bored and she's throwing her peas down the grate to the scary beasts down below i, I- was dying <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that's so something i would do because one yes. i'm not eating peas thank you and two, oh, i like peas oh no i can't i can't I thought I, I could. I just can't. <laughs> we told
0: you we disagree on
1: something. So, <laughs> peas. Put that Here it on is. the list. That's <laughs> the one. The one checkbox for today. Yeah. But yeah. I'm like, I'm just like these are the beasts of the pit, right? Like we're in the hewn City. Like the Court of Nightmares. Like everything is scary and dark and black she's throwing peas at them (laughs) i'm like over the past however many decades they've eaten all of like Rise's enemies and nope right bryce is (laughs) tossing peas at the incredible incredible (sighs) i loved that
0: i can just picture my brother has three kids and i can picture his youngest who is the boy uh, doing this in a second like just completely
1: absolutely
0: Bored and then going over and peeking over into the grate and being like, what happened to my peas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he would absolutely do that. I love he that. He would.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that that whole food and her boredom game or whatever we're calling yeah. it, like, that, was, that was great. Yeah.
1: I loved that. I loved that.
0: And then in chapter four, we transitioned back to the dungeons of the Crystal Palace and then... I was dying at the banter even though these three males are like being shredded physically the fact that they're still able and I guess to the point like when you're in that state of pain I mean really like you said what else is there to do but laugh about it and so when first Baxian wakes up after Hunt and then Hunt asks him how he's doing and Baxian just replies great which if you know us like I I love just absolute dry humor oh, like that. Yeah. And then in the next thing, Brune is doing his joke, an angel and a fey prince walk into a dungeon. And I just, <laughs> I don't know. It just reminded me so much of like, I don't know. It, I just found it hilarious and I really oh, appreciated
1: yeah. it. <laughs> It's so right, and if you if you know us in real life, like the the dry humor is where I live, right? That's ninety eight percent of my personality. So I love, and it has to be done well. Let me just some of some people in my life try it, and it doesn't quite work. (laughs) It has to be done well, and Sarah does it really well. I feel she definitely. I obviously don't know her personally, but I am assuming that she has a pretty dry sense of humor because she does. She does this back and forth banter. It gets me every time. I love it. Yes, I love it. Yeah. And it was, you had found that meme and it's on, it's on our Instagram page of Star Lord.
0: Yeah, I made it. I was so proud of myself. You I was made like, that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I went into CapCut and I was like, that's because that's immediately what popped into my head when these males are like, fuck you you know to back or to the hawk and the hammer as yeah. far, I'm like I don't know. It just popped into my head. Like Peter Quill, Star-Lord, his little... Cranking (laughs) his
1: middle finger from Guardians 1. That's like an iconic scene. I'm so impressed with you. Oh my gosh. I love that. (laughs) Well, I was just going to give a shout out to wherever memes come from, but you went and made it. So I love that for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So at Romanticy Fangirls Pod on Instagram, you can check out my now infamous Peter Quill Star-Lord yes finger me
1: please go give that some love (laughs) clearly artist credit cal yes
0: Uh, and then we moved to chapter five where we talked about we're doing a total 180 then from kind of the dry humor of the the prison palace to this battle that's going on between sabine's pack and our our boy band and flynn like blasting sabine's face off and we kind of talked about that a little bit as far as just the amount of on-page violence that, you know, we're seeing in this book, but then also learning about what sacred has been through and then what Sabine has just revealed to her. And it kind of all comes full circle in that fight.
1: That's, that's, I think, such an interesting, and again, yeah, we talked a little bit about this, of it's such a big reveal and such an interesting space and time, right, where everybody is. Uh, And I think the fact then at the end, we know that the Viper Queen comes to apprehend them. So I think to your earlier point, how much of that did the Viper Queen hear? And we know that she's a slippery character all over the place, all the time. So how much did she hear? What information is she going to be able to use and leverage for her own game? And now the fact that She's the person that knows that Flynn and Deck and Ethan, you know, and Sigrid just blew the face off the prime apparent of the wolves. I mean, that's not a small, that's not a small character. So I think that the repercussions of that, I think we're going to see coming down the line here.
0: Uh, And they mention it too in that chapter though, when the wolves drag Sabine away, they do mention about, oh, well, she'll she'll make it. She'll heal from this. And I guess like to your point, oh, that's really the only way we can explain it at this point is like these creatures on Midgard obviously have different healing capacities than what we're used to in, you know, Akatar and Throne of Glass, because I don't think that would ever happen. And I mean, if that happened to one of those characters, like I said, you're just, you're done.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting, and I don't know that I've thought enough about it I'm gonna have to as I go back through and and reread for this I'm gonna have to think more about the repercussions of that level of healing the violence then becomes and I think I said this earlier more allowed which Mm -hmm. is I mean right that's the whole consequences of violence right is that we're hurting another creature you can't come back from it but if that's taken away the morality then of the violence in question almost right it's not it's not but it but it also kind of is and that is such a that's such an interesting piece when you think about you know quote unquote the bad guys and what what level that they can stoop to I mean that opens up a whole a whole world of levels of depravity that you can take which is yeah horrifying
0: yeah and the last piece too like that kind of really stuck out for me was we finally meet, I'm just going to say the Sprite Queen because I <laughs> care. I'm not even going to try. Uh, but we know from House of Sky and Breath that she, from the other Sprites, the the three fairy godmothers, that <laughs> she was revered for her honor and loyalty. We know from that book that the Sprites don't really know what happened to their queen. You know, they don't even know if she's alive or dead. Coming, bringing that full so- circle in this book right away I thought was really interesting because we do soon get to see like how that loyalty is tested I just kind of thought like for Sarah to obviously she's a master of her craft but like for her to just remember all those little details about even you know no pun intended like the smallest characters like I just love that about her books
1: yeah absolutely and I think it's so telling too of we get to see, you know, Irythus in this setting. She's in the room with the mystics. So I thought that was really interesting as well. And then, and she, and we'll have to talk about this in, in later episodes too of Irythus is the newer queen. Cause Lehaba was talking about being a descendant of a different, I believe a sprite queen before even Irythus mm-hmm. and her. I think it's a whole different line. So. That call back to Lehaba really, oh, that always, like, yeah, dagger to the heart for me. I
0: know, but, just twist it in a little bit. Oh, sir. right,
1: right. <laughs> um, but again, I think, and just to to make a note of Regalus having a room with a 1,000 mystics,
0: I mean, yeah. that
1: is, that's terrifying. Getting just the level information is power, all that he can get from that. Um, is just that's that's a huge piece I think that is just another another facet of the power that he holds
0: and when I wrote when I read the description of that room too it was so vivid for me I could just kind of feel the heat and humidity and all these submerged tanks and like all the power that was kind of flowing to the asteri from them and I think it even mentioned like The mistress of the mystics had constellations swirling above her head, telling the reader that all a thousand of these are searching for Bryce. That's what they're trying to find across galaxies and stuff. So it just painted a picture, like you said, of just this immense source of power that the Asteri have, you know, on the backs of these people that don't even really know what's happening.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And then a final piece of chapter five that I wanted to make sure that we, um, thoughts on, I loved that piece where Bryce got down into the pit underneath the cell and she was walking amongst the Sobeks and they didn't react to her. They didn't eat her. They were calm. We mentioned earlier, they kind of reflected the emotions that she had. Um, and there was a line about her feeling like a queen walking amongst them and i just loved that call to the power of of her in that moment and and what that meant but yeah thoughts on that did that that surprised me i don't know if that threw you off
0: i wasn't expecting that to kind of be the resolution to her being down in the pit there but I think even in that chapter, doesn't it again reference the like calls to like thing? So Bryce was in my mind. Okay, somehow these Sobeks, and it, it mentions we mentioned the line about like her emotions reflecting into them or off of them, but somehow there's a connection there between whatever ancestry they came from, you know, and Bryce's ancestry. True. So. I just am really curious to see like kind of if that comes back around again, or is it just something really cool that Sarah just threw in there? I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So final thoughts
0: on chapters two through six. There was a lot.
1: There was a lot that we went through. I think we're really getting kind of the overall, we're kind of setting up, right? We got a rescue mission, but, the boy band is really not great at Rescue Mission. Rice is is in Prithian. We're now, she's now in a tunnel, caved-in tunnel with Nesta. We don't know where that's headed. Lydia obviously has several cards up her sleeve because we don't think her getting Erethus is going to be for nothing, right? And then we have Hunt and Rune and Baxian who are just being torture they're not doing super well to the point that hunt now thinks he's like hallucinating shadows in the corner and that they're deaf
0: yeah so. it's uh four chapters of not so happy
1: <laughs> like, we don't get a whole
0: lot of uh, positive. Not a lot uh, of cheer
1: on this yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So hopefully uh, episode three will bring some of that for us when we dive into chapters seven through ten. So be sure to join us for that one. And we will see you in the next episode.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.
0: If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood... If you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you.